Welcome to Examining, a technology-focused podcast that dives deep. And welcome to another episode of the Examining Podcast. Good evening, Mr. Hans. How's it going, Eric? It's going well. I'm a little bit under the weather, um, but I don't think my voice sounds so terrible that people would notice. So I think we'll we'll be okay. Hopefully you're not also sick. I was, but uh, yeah, it's like the first time in many years. I, I don't know what happened this time around, but uh, usually if I ever do, it's, uh, you know, I crash and burn after the semester is over. <laughs> you yeah, just like I'm push not, yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I'm usually not sick during the semester that's unlikely but um and of course i had just told someone that i hadn't been sick for years and then of course i got sick so i guess it's on me yeah um that being said it's not the end of the world it's fine uh we'll be at home for the next week it's reading week so uh, but we have a pretty packed roundup today and in fact our episode is the big four kind of big three in a bit but the big four hardware roundup so I think today we're going to cover what's happened over the last month uh, regarding hardware announces, uh, sorry, announcements. So perhaps we can start with uh, Apple. They have a uh, September iPhone event every year. So yeah. uh, The Verge here has a, has a nice summary, as well as other blogs of the all the announcements. I don't. I think we we're going to cover Apple, then Microsoft, then Google. So. Perhaps uh, maybe I'll just start and say that uh, unsurprisingly, Apple has launched uh, the i15 and the i15 Max and the i15 Pro and the i15 Pro Max. Um, all of the phones now have ditched the the notch which was introduced much to the chagrin of those of us who really liked the fingerprint reader. So the notch for face ID is now kind of this hole punch that they call the dynamic Island, which I have to say, I think is an improvement. I had uh, an iPhone eight before, so I've never had a touch, uh, sorry, a face ID iPhone. I actually have the, the regular iPhone 15. I uh, made the mistake of ordering it and then picking it up on launch day, which was a bananas event. Oh yeah. But that being said, um and then they moved to USB-C. Yeah. Uh because the European Union had forced them to as I understand it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't think people realize uh, you know with all the accessories that are put out there having that lightning port generated millions maybe even who knows billions of dollars in royalties because people had to go and license and license that. the port yeah. yeah so yeah so a cable like a lightning to USB-C cable was always a lot more money than a USB-C to USB-C cable yeah because USB-C is an open standard is there a, do they have to pay a patent license for USB or is it just open I actually have no idea I, I'm not sure but uh, uh, the fact is that you know UB, uh, USB-C is the uh, you know kind of like the international standard and that's why eu they made it mandatory because uh, at least it's more accessible so so i would have a couple of views on that i understand the convenience of having USB-C since the mac has USB-C, the ipad pro has USB-C, and the ipad air and so a lot of their devices have it i will say that i'm not a huge fan 
of the idea uh, that the government, a government body would then make a uh, enforcement decision based on currently available tech, because then like, what if another port comes out and we're stuck on an old one, or, you know, they could have picked micro USB. I don't trust the government to figure out what the best solution is. Yeah. I will also say too, then this is an unpopular opinion. A USB-C is better well, it depends. It depends on the port. I think the the, the regular iPhone is a USB 2.0 standard for charging. You have to go with the Pro phones to get USB 3. So the problem with USB C is that all the ports look the same, but the functionality differs greatly. Like not all ports can do charging and video out. Some ports don't do charging; they just do mm -hmm. device connection. But they all have the same shape. Where in a world where you had different cables. Yes, you had to have different cables, but the cable shape was representative of what you were going to get in terms of functionality. Yeah, totally. And now we have all these USB ports, but USB types, the type C port does not dictate if it can handle Thunderbolt or display port or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think the USB-C, you know, again, uh, uh, it would depend on the type of port or whatever. It's supposed to have higher transfer speeds compared to like the lightning but uh, at the end of the day like i uh well on the pro i don't know about the standard i have no idea yeah yeah i'm not sure but I, at, at the end of it like you know i we all I, if you look at it apple was their plan and i believe this is still their plan they want to eliminate the port altogether right and they were hoping well, that seems like a stupid idea yeah I don't know. They want to just go to wireless charging or what have you, like uh, maybe with the MagSafe and, uh, you know, so, but uh, they were hoping to get rid of it altogether. That'll probably push more for sales for the, uh, uh, you know, having these um, AirPods, right? So, uh, and then you can't go and connect like an actual headphone, like a wired one, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the concern. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if you want like really good audio, wireless audio isn't as good as wired, right? So it seems like that would shoot themselves in the foot from like an enthusiast audio perspective, um, especially if they released it. The funny thing about the AirPods too is that the AirPods Pro were also updated to have USB-C with a regular AirPods or Lightning. So there's still a bunch of devices that have Lightning. I would like if it's okay with you to air an unpopular opinion. Mm -hmm. So while USB-C is probably a more performant port, I would argue that the Lightning was a better design. In, in one respect. So, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. So the way the USB-C port works, if you look in the, if you look in the port into USB-C, mm -hmm. there's like a little flap inside mm -hmm. and it's actually the port that you plug into the hole of the device goes around this flap that's inside the device and so if you wiggle a usb-c too hard that you've plugged into something it can actually break the flap inside the device mm -hmm. and so the fragile part is built into the most expensive part which is the unit where on the lightning port it had some exposed pins in the worst case if you broke the the, the lightning port was just like a male to female connector. So then if you broke off the lightning port, you would just pull out the thing and put a new one in. It was, I don't, I think it would be less likely to damage it. I think the way the USB-C is designed where there's kind of like a little tongue inside tongue and groove that it fits into, mm. it's more likely to do damage and it's harder to clean out the port as a result. So I find it to be 
not as good because you're kind of plugging in like a hollow thing versus just like a stick. Yeah. No, I, I think I would agree with that. I, I think there's also, I mean, again, we, we don't know uh, from a, you know, hardware development standpoint, but obviously if you have your own proprietary cable, there's probably some secret sauce that they had developed that, you know, across all their various devices and stuff, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. And a funny thing is, is that, you know, people, people were complaining for years because the iPhone used the iPod, which is like this 30 pin mechanical connector. And the 30 pin connector was very rock solid, in my opinion, I never had one bust. Mm -hmm. And so, but you know, so people are like, why did they go to this lightning? And I'm like, well, USB-C hadn't been invented. It had been this reversible charging standard was on the books forever for USB-C and they just never got around to it. So Apple was like, all right, we can't use this ancient port anymore. So we'll invent our own. And then of course, shortly after lightning, then USB-C came out. It's not really their fault. Yeah. Um, and though it's funny though, because for years people were like, we have to get rid of the 30 pin. We need a reversible connector. And so they did that. And then it was like, oh, this is terrible. It's not USB-C. Like, it is convenient to have it all be the same and I'm happy about it. Like I, none of the things I've pointed out about lightning would make me want to trade to go back to a proprietary port. I'd rather have something that's decent, which USB-C is, then I don't have to carry more than one charging cable or charger style. Everything can be USB-C to the USB-C, yeah. but it's like, you're never going to make anybody happy, everyone happy because it's like, you know, I've told some people who are, let's say less on the tech enthusiast side, about this change and they're like this is terrible i'm gonna have to change all my cables and they're just they're enraged that it's been changed so there's people who desperately want it to change and people who never want it to change and it's like well what are you gonna do i feel like that maybe that's why they were hesitant to change it because there's more people who don't care that it fits their other devices yeah well and like you say i mean there's certain things like i i look at it i i have uh for instance i have a wired headset uh, that I plug in and I, I use the lightning port right now, right? So now basically I would have to go and get a USB-C to the 3.5 adapter to make it work. And hopefully it works. <laughs> I don't know, but that's going to cost me another like 20 bucks probably. Yeah. I mean, the benefit is that at least with a USB-C, you can get like USB-C headphones and then it'll work in everything. That's true, too. It has that port. Yeah. Um, it, there is some advantages, I guess, with the new phones. The 15 uses the A16 chip. So I guess this is the new cycle in terms of hardware. The standard phones this year got the Pro Phone processor from last year. And the Pro uh, devices get a faster chip, right? Yeah, yeah. The new iPhone 15 also has an A16 chip that Apple included with the 14 Pro. I'm just taking a look here to see what the Pro chip, the A17, then goes to the Pro. So basically, if you get the regular phone like I did, you're technically one generation behind. But I feel that there's so much headroom now on these on the speeds of these chips in terms of graphics and stuff that it probably doesn't matter. I, I chose not to go with a Pro. Um, maybe that was a mistake. I just... I. I don't know. I don't see a huge advantage in terms of the camera and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really the uh, the big difference is probably just the camera, right? Uh, the well, the the 15 has a the 15 uh okay, so it says here that the new iPhone 15 has the A16 chip. 
that Apple included with the 14 Pro, while the 15 will come with a 6.1 of one 6.1 inches for the 15 and 6.7, respectively. Both come with a 48 pixel main camera, all day battery life, quote unquote, and a second generation ultra wideband. It's interesting. So that the pixel count for the cameras is actually matched. The difference is that the pro comes with a five times telephoto. And I believe that's only in the pro max. Uh, is it only the pro max? I, I, oh yeah, you're right. The yeah. pro max has the five times telephoto, which is interesting to me. So the two pros are not the same, yeah. which kind of creates a problem. I suppose the other upgrade is that you get the action button. So instead of the uh, silent to loud notifying button, like the sleep, uh, yeah, the silent button, you get this button that can be used for that, but you could program it. So, uh, you know, yeah, shortcuts launches an app or, you know, does something like that. I've heard some interesting stories about how people are using the action button. Like if you do a long press, two presses, maybe there's some more functionality on there. Yeah. What do you think about it? Would the action button sway you? <laughs> I don't know if it would, uh, but I'm a, I'm a little bit, sometimes uh, I look at it, I, I think having some of this like analog features is a nice thing, right? Like, I mean, I... Uh, having the ability to actually have a key there. And uh, I mean, I even look at like I've updated my watch to the latest uh, OS. I don't know if I like the the new one because before I was able to go and pull up the last app that I used. And I don't know, I have right. to maybe can look at the configuration or what have you. But, um, you know, there's uh, these are things that you always have to kind of adjust for. But um, uh, I haven't updated my phone yet, uh, but I, I probably will got to keep up with the joneses you know <laughs> well i kept mine for years and years so you don't have to and you can still have a tech podcast oh that is a timely thing because they did also release uh, or reveal the watch series nine yeah so a faster ultra wideband chip their s9 processor probably makes more difference in terms of speed on something like the watch in terms of power efficiency i feel like the phone is so far ahead of the competition at this point that it's probably in the the watch chips where you're going to see more uh, noticeable speediness and less sluggish opening and stuff like that. That They had this interesting feature though, this double tap gesture where you kind of tap your index finger and thumb together twice so you can do things like yeah. snooze the alarm and answer calls and stuff. But I just have this vision of people going around like this. Yeah, it, it is kind of handy. Funny. So by the way, so I, I went... Um, I had to go to the mall and I was looking because my phone was, I was looking to upgrade, but they have no pros right now. I think the delivery date is sometime in November if you want to get one. So, uh, but anyways, the, it was funny The the gentleman that I was dealing with, he's like, what kind of watch do you have? And I'm like, it's a uh, Apple watch five. He's like, you don't need to buy the latest watch. Let me show you. And uh, he just happened to be of Indian descent. He goes, us Indian people where we we figure out all this stuff so he showed me went into like the accessibility features and so oh, I, right for the pinching for the pinching yeah so yeah. you can do the pinching if you go and enable it in the accessibility side of things so it, it works like i i have my apple watch 5 and i can do the double pinch <laughs> so yeah that's and that's you know i was going to point that out but that's a good point so yeah the pinching feature is in accessibility the only thing is that i think in the new watches um they're doing some machine learning with the new chip so it's a little bit less prone to false input i think that's the only difference i don't know how much of a difference it really makes 
Um, but apparently that uses some of the, I, I gather some machine learning, um, on the newer chip to take it away from being like a, perhaps a more blunt accessibility instrument, but you're right, more or less, you can get the same thing. Yeah. But see, this is again, like, you know, if, if you didn't dig into it, I would have never, maybe I would have bought, uh, bought a new Apple watch thinking that I need to keep up with the Joneses and, you know, I want the double pinch. I want to, I don't want to be the only person not pinching. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, actually, if people do want to know what they can get away with or want a breakdown of, is it worth it? Is it not? A really good podcast uh, to listen to is the... Oh, hang on a second. I'm going to look this up because I'm going to get it wrong and then I'm going to have to edit it. So it's better just to do it on the fly. And I can't believe you're promoting uh, another podcast. I know I'm <laughs> terrible. It's called the, it's called it. So it's by, it's called Upgrade and it's from Relay FM. So Jason Snell he used to be the editor in chief of Mac World for a long time. Um, and Mike Hurley, they do a podcast on Apple and they actually have a really nice breakdown of, uh, how to do it in accessibility, uh, how to enable that feature, as well as, um, you know, just some of their feelings on these products. They don't necessarily buy one every year. They probably wait a couple of years before they upgrade. So they're enthusiasts with a practical approach. So that's a good, Yeah. they have to have a lot of tips like that. Yeah, totally. Although the, I guess uh, the original Apple Watch now is not uh, being serviced uh, in terms of from the software side of things. So that's so what happens if you bought the gold one for $17,000 US? <laughs> I guess you just have to uh, stick to that OS that you had at that point. So so is it is it that it's obsolete? And it's never or does it just not work? I, I believe it still works. It just won't be you won't get a software update for it. So you won't be able to get some of these features. So maybe like even that double pinch might not work on that one, potentially. I'm kind of curious to know. Uh, yeah, like I must turn on and continue to function because so did they the first generation Apple Watch was in 2015. Wow, that's really so if you bought the gold carrot one, that's really expensive. So it was already considered vintage. I love that they have vintage and then it moves to obsolete. They kind of graciously <laughs> exactly. put them out to pasture. So watch OS five software update in 2018 dropped support for first gen watches. So actually five years ago, they, they dropped OS support. Um, it's been seven years since Apple sold the product bringing, I just looked this up on, on a, some website. So bringing the stainless steel and sapphire crystal or solid gold products to the end of their surprisingly short lifespan. Huh. So Apple products considered obsolete uh, is when they stopped distributing them for more for sale for more than seven years at the date. So there is a hard cutoff, like a policy. Interesting. Hmm. Well, so this is the interesting aspect I hear. I, I'd like to think about. So, I mean, also Apple spent quite a bit of time talking about all their carbon neutral green stuff. So I think the Apple Watch, or at least the aluminum version, or one of them probably, you know, is going to is their first carbon neutral product. Um, I'm not really sure how carbon neutral works. I know that companies will say it's carbon neutral because they buy carbon offsets. I don't even I know I have no idea how that works. I don't know what the policy or the standards are. So but it's interesting to me that uh, there's a much discussion paid to recycling and 
not having waste, which is a win for the environment and the company. I'm not trying to make light of it, but also that then they've at the same time dropped support for something. I mean, eventually it's going to have support drop and it's going to go into a landfill. Yeah. Unless it's recycled. Unless it's recycled, which uh, I think that's what they're claiming is that they're taking these old devices and then recycling the the parts, the aluminum and so on. So They would get probably more recycling if they offered people better prices for the trade-in. That's a thought. Yeah, probably. Because my, um, you know, my iPhone 8 Plus just got dropped. This is the reason I upgraded it. I don't really need a new phone, but it doesn't get uh, iOS 17. Yeah, And the problem with that is that I have a Mac that gets Sonoma. I have an iPad that gets it. I try to keep devices for a while, but I like them all running the same, roughly the same hardware, even if one is a little slower, because uh, they've up, they've made some significant updates. Like in Notes, for instance, um, we had a, a an episode a while back called Zettelcast, and where I talked about the, yep. the Obsidian Notes app, which is a terrific app. I still highly recommend it. I've I've actually gone back to Apple Notes as the main one, regardless of the interoperability and the open standards that Obsidian uses, because it has the interlinking feature now where you can link between notes. So it does all the things that I needed the other thing to do. But if I have a device that's not on iOS or iPadOS 17 or Sonoma, then all those links that I put in to show up as like yellow underlines, it's super weird. And so it, we're getting to the point now where if the software doesn't stay up to date, then the functionality doesn't function between devices, even though they technically work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's still like, wow. I don't know. I mean, most of my products are Apple. I think that if you look at the, we've had this discussion before, the overall, if you look at the the useful life, it tends to be longer although with this watch yeah i mean it's seven years it seems kind of a short lifespan for sure it does uh though this will come up again when we talk about the pixel event because i think google's trying to play catch up yeah with regards to this apple also did update the all apple watch ultra which is like the hardcore expedition outdoorsman watch i yeah. don't have much to say about that yeah and i believe that the it was um it's not worth it uh, there's minor spec update uh, so uh, it's pretty much the same as the original yeah. one that came up i think what we could do is that we'll talk about maybe the software once we've had more chance to play with it i thought maybe we could do a deep dive into the latest software updates once we figure out the features there's a better breakdown today is kind of focused on hardware yeah should we talk about microsoft yeah, sure. Microsoft also had an event uh, that came after. So it was like September 21st. So it was like a week or two later, a week later. Um, so there's an article we have from The Verge. Uh, again, another really good update. Microsoft Sur Surface event. The biggest, this can't speak today. The sixth biggest announcements. So um, from a hardware, it was not a uh, Microsoft Surface hardware event. Apparently it was more of a kind of a combination event, probably because if they had just had a surface event, they wouldn't have enough to show to qualify to really have an event. So it was kind of a grab bag in terms of hardware. Um, the surface is an interesting product line. It sometimes gets regularly updated and sometimes it's languishes for a long time. So it's kind of a bizarre, uh, a bizarre update cycle they have a new surface laptop studio 2 so this is a laptop and i think you and i have talked about this before where you know it's a traditional clamshell but the 
the display is on a traditional laptop hinge and then it can kind of break away from that hinge and tilt and it can kind of turn the whole laptop into a big tablet like a big writing surface yeah. um, it's a very interesting product <laughs> ironically as per uh what is is typical with microsoft <laughs> they, they updated these products with 13th generation intel processors and then intel immediately talked about how they're going to the 14th gen this happens every single time microsoft updates the surface so it's like out of date as soon as they update it um though I, my understanding is that the 13th gen processor that's in the surface studio 2 has some sort of uh features in it i don't know if it's machine learning or a neural network or something that's actually unique to that laptop and only that computer so it has some unit on it that you would only get in a desktop processor but in the surface they've managed to convince intel to put it in a mobile chip and that's the only laptop that will launch with it probably because it's it's like a graphic artist's device it comes with NVIDIA's RTX 4050, so a very decent, or 4060, so very good graphics cards, given the, the the package of the device, 64 gigs of RAM. They're very expensive. I think they start at about 2,000 US. Yeah. I don't know what you think about the Surface Studio laptop. I have a hard time deciding if this is a product that needs to exist. Well, I mean, they must uh, if there's like people who actually want this, uh, the ability. I mean, I look at uh, if you compare it to Apple, what would you have to do? You basically would have to buy a keyboard separately, right, to be able to take like their iPad Pros and be able to use it in the same kind of fashion. So it is kind of nice to have something that like works and not have to pay. Although I don't know. I mean, I guess price wise, it's probably similar uh, like the well and runs a full operating system like windows yeah yeah exactly um yeah, there is an advantage yeah for sure so and i guess uh, the well, that's got uh, the yeah, other sorry well i was yeah sorry go ahead no no no. i was gonna ask what was the other thing that got updated well i mean i i don't know in terms of updates uh i'm not as familiar with the, the window side but it, like you say i think beyond just the hardware side like it really was much uh, to do with like this whole ai the co-pilot side of things as well right and integrating it with the, the various devices um yeah because they only did that studio and the surface laptop go three so that's kind of their entry-level macbook air competitor yeah which is fine it's fine I honestly don't know enough about it. I really don't have a lot to say about it. It got, um, it has a strange processor, kind of an low-end Intel, not a particularly compelling device for the price, but it was really about Windows. Uh, they talked about Windows Copilot. Yeah. So yeah. What, what is Windows Copilot again? Is that the same as Office's Copilot or is this different? Are they all Copilot? <laughs> I guess we'll find out soon, but yeah, they're apparently they're going to go and integrate uh, ChatGPT into all of its apps. Uh, so right across all the Microsoft apps, so Windows, Edge, Excel, PowerPoint, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, I mean, uh, the way that Nadella, uh, Satya Nadella is uh, talking about this, it's uh, they're basically creating a new product category. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a new category of computing, which he believes is, you know, going to take it to 
you know, um, in terms of uh, uh, it might be as significant as Windows when it was first launched. And so, uh, and we don't know. I mean, we'll see. It's, it's just like the PCs were in the 80s and, you know, web in the 90s, mobile in 2000s, uh, cloud in 2010s. And now you're going to be able to boot up an operating system, be able to access applications, use a browser, navigate websites, uh, and you can use Copilot for all of these activities right across all those applications. Yeah. So, I mean, the Copilot features, I think, differ between, um, you know, using it on the web with Bing or if you're in Office. Because, of course, the Office, the Office, Microsoft 365, which was what Office 365, it was the previous branding. I think Office was a better brand, personally. Um, uh, that is an expensive add-on. So this is something that's, so when this Windows Copilot will be added um to windows so microsoft is merging copilot the company's ai powered assistant so that's what they've called their assistant now which is a good brand i mean they've done a really good job with that, that that's yeah. pretty much exactly how it's supposed to operate and so the name is apt it's better than all the other names actually copilot is terrific yeah. um, to allow for some unified experience the tool will be seamlessly available across microsoft apps like you said windows 11 but i suspect that what copilot can do is a little bit different. So in base windows, it's a little bit different than what's in office. Yeah. Um, cause in office it's $30 per user us per month yeah. Uh, yeah. to use copilot built in. I'm sorry. I'm sneezing in the background. Um, and so this is some sort of kind of basic copilot. Uh, I would assume that would help with finding like it comes out in November. So, it, you know, I'm trying to see if there's an example here, example, but I mean, like you can do some of the drafting stuff like with Bing AI, which is chat GPT. Um, yeah. You know, I think probably finding some of the settings. I think there's also some things that are built into File Explorer. In fact, I'll, I'll give you this link, Chris. My apologies. I didn't put this in our, in our link here. Um, but Paul Therott, our favorite uh, Windows journalist, talked about the updates that were coming to Windows 11. And so uh, some including Windows Backup Copilot. Um, so basically provides a, uh, assistant provides access to Bing chat. Um, at this time, Copilot is only available in North America and parts of Asia and South America. And that's going to expand over time. And then also the AI stuff moves to File Explorer and the start menu. So users signed in with their Azure AD account will see AI powered recommendations in File Explorer. Um, there's a new volume mixer. These are other updates to, to Windows 11. There's a new voice access expansion. Um, a few things that are coming to Windows, which are, which are impressive. Um, it's interesting to me that there's some AI <laughs> tools that are coming to Paint. So I think Microsoft Paint is actually getting layers and a snipping tool, which is pretty cool, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. So there's a lot to talk about in the update. But yeah, they're really going all in on this co-pilot, uh, this AI stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, the one thing to note as well, like with that, uh, uh, the off Microsoft 365. So right now, that co-pilot feature 
is going to be in the enterprise license. And so, yeah, that costs not personal, not personal. So that's $30 okay. per user above their base subscription. So it's not included. But then with that enterprise version, uh, what's going to happen is that the, the users also get data protection. So meaning that none of their data that they're using will get fed back into the language model. And so that's uh, the Bing chat enterprise uh, version of uh, uh, what they're going to be putting together. So the, the GPT-4 uh, you know, model, the language model, will not be uh, you know, using all of our information. And that's kind of what they were, what a lot of companies were kind of concerned about is that uh, all of a sudden our proprietary information is going to you know, help build this language model and who knows they might go in there could be some data privacy issues or what have you but you know overall like nadella he thinks that and i mean we'll see i guess it's going to be released soon now uh in terms of uh, out uh, for people in the enterprise uh, uh, side of things but it'll fundamentally transform our relationship with technology and uh, he's nadella says it'll usher in a new era of personal computing I mean, it's, it's a big promise and we'll see, but that's, they're like well, all in on it, this. It's hard to agree that they're wrong. I mean, I think, I think with Microsoft, as you pointed out in the past, you know, they really, they're really dominant for a long time, but they really fumbled on mobile. You know, I mean, Steve Ballmer, who I don't think was a bad CEO, actually, I think, I think just really underestimated how powerful the iPhone was going to be. I mean, it just totally took them by surprise. And I mean, that basically made Apple the trillion dollar company it is today. Before the iPhone, Apple was still, you know, niche, profitable niche company. Uh, they really didn't see that coming. And they've never, ever been able to really successfully pivot to mobile. And they had bought Nokia and had Windows. Well, I thought Windows uh, Mobile was... Uh, no, Windows Phone 7 and Windows Phone 8 were terrific. They're really nice, but they just could never get it to work. They could never really make it happen. It was just like the, it's like a two-party system in politics, right? Yeah. It's hard to be the third party. And I think it's hard to be the third platform that then everybody has to develop their app for yet another platform, right? So they missed that. And I think that was painful for them. So what they've done is, is that they've seen AI and rather than waffle, they've just thrown tons of money at it because Apple, oh, sorry, Microsoft's Azure business has been so successful, their cloud business. I mean, they're number two now to Amazon. And I think probably a distant two, but like catching up that they have so much cash putting in, you know, throwing money at Xbox for acquisitions and throwing money for content and throwing billions of dollars at open AI is really nothing for them yeah. in terms of the size of their company. So now they own this space. And, and you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't know how it'll, it'll turn out in the end, but it seems like they have the best integration. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and they've branded it well, Copilot. Um, so they've kind of done to Google what Apple did to them in mobile, but in AI. Yeah. And I mean, time will tell whether, because apparently the the new language model that Google is developing is going to be like four times more powerful than uh, ChatGPT, but we'll see how the, the AI wars will uh, end up. But uh, overall, I mean, keep in mind, and I think this is where people sometimes maybe they, they forget, you know, Satya Nadella, he was the head of Azure. Right. That's what got him into this uh, position. Yeah. So he was all about uh, the cloud computing. His 
domain expertise, his knowledge in that area, now seeing, you know, from a strategy standpoint uh, to be able to go and take all this uh, AI large language model kind of um, uh, stance. And yeah, I mean, it's not just Office 365. They're going right across all of their, you know, Azure and all the apps. And so it's a very uh, dominant kind of cohesive strategy that they're implementing. I mean, I've never seen a company move as fast as they have, uh, especially a large one. And, you know, to be able to introduce, like not only give $10 billion to open AI to control 49% of the, uh, you know, chat GPT, but then roll it out and integrate it into Bing. I mean, Bing is still a distant, like apparently according to these, um, because uh, uh, Satya Nadella had to go and um, recently testify uh, as part of a uh, antitrust um, uh, case that's taking place. Yeah. But, uh, so, so the the federal what is the uh, what is the department which fair, uh, American body is taking Google to court? It's not the FTC, is it? Uh, let's go look this up here. I always forget. I'm terrible at this. I'm sorry if we have an American listeners. I, I don't understand your institutions. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't have them memorized. Yeah. I think you can find this answer better. But while you're looking for that, I'll, yeah. I'll kind of give a preamble. So, Google's fighting basically the antitrust case that's being brought to them. And so Microsoft, this is uh, reported by, again, Paul Throt. So Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella appeared on the stand today, and that this was written on October 2nd, uh, as witnesses for the prosecution in the U.S. versus Google antitrust trial. As expected, uh, he tried to hurt Google's defense that Apple chose Google Search as its default search engine because it was the best choice. So for many years... Um, Apple has put Google as the default search engine in Safari on the iPhone and the iPad, and they get paid a ton of money, like billions of dollars every year from Google to be the default. Yep. And so he argued that that, um, you know, is a problem for them. He unexpectedly revealed that he overestimated the impact of OpenAI's chat GPT based AI capabilities would have on Bing capabilities that he had since reorganized the entire company around. And I think what he means there is that, you know, Bing really hasn't seen any increase in traffic as a result of being integrated with ChatGPT. Yeah. I mean, ChatGPT is being useful, but Bing itself is not seeing an advantage where it's catching up to Google in terms of search market share. And part of that, his argument, you know, is that the default is very powerful. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so it's the Department of Justice uh, that uh, right. okay. is uh, running this. Yeah, <laughs> it is complicated and so, down there. And so, yeah, so the, the Department of Justice is arguing that Google abuses its search dominance. Um, and Nadella said by engaging in multi-billion deals, multi-billion dollar deals with Apple and other companies to ensure that its search engine is the default. Um, it's just no way to compete. Like it. And now I would also argue... And the opposite. I mean, Apple made this case because they also, you know, colleagues, uh, you know, other people on Apple had to testify. And, you know, their argument was, is that, well, they weren't going to make anything that default anyways, other than Google, because it's the best product as, as far as search goes. And I think they're right. I mean, there are some other good searches out there, but, and I've tried them. I've tried switching to Bing so I can have AI built in. I've tried DuckDuckGo as a 
manual default search. And I just, I can't, they're just not as good. Um, and Google has so much time and effort doing this that it doesn't surprise me that it's difficult for a company like Microsoft to catch up uh, when, you know, that's all really Google does is web services. No, totally. And I mean, even as part of that testimony, so, you know, Nadella uh, to support the government's argument. Uh, so Bing has a very tiny market share at about 3%. So it's Google's closest competitor at 3%. And uh, so, you know, Google search truly is a better product, uh, you know, because its dominance in search is basically self-reinforcing, you know, more searches go through uh, the search engine there's more data that the search engine has the, the better it becomes at guessing what searchers are looking for and uh, what the results uh, will interest them the most so it's a uh, as he describes a, a vicious cycle uh but you know at, at the same time like one thing that he did also say he, uh, he and i don't think very many people uh, would have expected like even look at microsoft it goes and pre-installs internet explorer Right. Or, uh, and it was, uh, well, then afterwards it was Edge. Uh, but the dominant web browser is also, it's Google Chrome. And so uh, he actually admitted that uh, Google did a good job of innovating in the browser uh, side of things as well. Yeah, and they did. And Google Chrome, well, now is kind of a security nightmare. For many years, it was kind of a lean and mean uh, process a product and you know you and i use different browsers because we like the differentiation i mean i use firefox you use firefox i use braze brave which is chromium based but is not google chrome because it doesn't have the tracking stuff and doesn't use as much memory i actually went back to safari with uh with uh, mac os sonoma because it has the switch between your different like profiles okay. which is really nice um but that being said yeah, I mean, Chrome is a good browser and it's dominant, right? I mean, Firefox is down into the single digits, I think, at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically use Firefox as my uh, default browser and then I'll use Safari. I've, <laughs> I've been using Edge as of late just because that was the only way to go and use Bing. But apparently some of my students have told me you can use Bing AI in Chrome. Yep, yeah, you can. Yeah, so I... I and, was... and, Edge, and Edge is a Chrome-based product. Oh, okay. There you go. So, I mean, this is the problem is, is not so much that Chrome is dominant, but also the Chrome, Chromium base is what all their competitors are based on. So there's not a lot of, there's kind of a browser hegemony where, so the rendering engine that it uses is the same across all those different browsers, even though they're different brands. Firefox still uses its own rendering engine. It's still its own thing. Uh, Apple uses WebKit, which is an open standard and Chrome used to be based on WebKit but is no longer uh, uh, um, Google went with their own, I think it's go, or they went with some of their own, their own framework or something like that. Though it's interesting that you mentioned though, that so, and Satya Nadella is revolving the whole company around AI that also has some consequences because so Microsoft had this event that was AI and surface, but the person who usually introduces surface was actually not there. And so Panos Panay, who is the, uh, well, I think he started at Microsoft with uh, in the hardware division on like keyboard and mouse design, and then eventually took over Surface and then eventually was in charge of Surface and Windows, which seems like kind of a humongous jump if you ask me. But that being said, he, uh, he was, he's no longer at Microsoft, probably because of that shift 
too AI focused. I mean, I don't think the Windows team, well, I guess Windows is getting more attention now because it's incorporating Copilot. But, you know, I think the Windows team and Surface was kind of on the back burner for Microsoft because of Azure and all the stuff. So imagine working for a, a company where your product is, you know, lower on the list in terms of budget and stuff like that. Yeah. Although, you know, I think it, it's quite possible. I mean, you mentioned like, you know, Apple becoming, you know, the most valuable company. I, I think if their bets pay off, if Nadella's bets on AI pay off, it might surpass Apple. It could. Apple doesn't have much more to do in terms of growth. I don't think Vision Pro is going to get it there. Yeah. Uh, their services division make a lot of money. The, the issue would be profitability, not so much revenue, but how much profit they make. And I think that's very, very difficult to compete on. Mm -hmm. Although I guess uh, Apple does have the, um, the margins are probably higher. That, that's what I mean. I mean, most companies don't make 20, 30% margins. Apple does. So um, Microsoft is in a very different business. Um, but they, they could, you know, supplant them. Though, again, I would be curious to know what do they make in revenue from AI or, or profit versus the cost? Because the cost of running these AIs and these large language models in, in their cloud is prohibitively expensive, as you and I have discussed in previous yeah. episodes. So, again, they can be bigger in terms of market capitalization, but does that mean that they're as profitable? I mean, so Tesla has recently been a larger market cap, probably a bit inflated, compared to the other car makers. Um, but they also have a much higher profit margin. I mean, I think Toyota was like the market leader with like, I don't know, 8%, 6% profit. And then like Tesla's like 10, 15, 20, something like that. Mm -hmm. Probably because of automation. So like, there's different ways to measure, I suppose, the size or the, the value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's true. Very true. So Panos is going to go to Amazon though. So, and, and quite frankly, like he was always kind of a strange character in my opinion. So like, I don't think that this is like going to do anything, but like probably help the surface brand at this point. He was a bit of a bizarre presenter, if you ask me. Um, another tech pundits, I don't consider myself a tech pundit. I guess maybe we are. They also agree, but he's going to go to Amazon, which is interesting because you mentioned to me today that Amazon seems a little bit stagnant. Yeah, like you, you don't hear much of, about them. Uh, although we have talked about this, like they are, they're they're kind of just keeping things very close. Uh, but they have been rolling out these, um, you know, AI features with uh, with their uh, Amazon Web Services uh, and their cloud infrastructure, and so they're kind of uh, providing that type of these large language model kind of functionalities for their clients that are using their cloud services. And so maybe they just don't care to bring too much attention. Um, I mean, certainly they had a big yeah. lift, I think, during the pandemic, because when you can't go anywhere and you're locked in your home, <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, you know, getting your stuff delivered is probably, the, you know, going to help quite a bit. But Well, and, and so, but their devices division, what does that include? So Kindle, Kindle right? And then the Kindle Fire tablets, yeah. the Echo. Echo, Alexa. So that's the same thing. And then the Nest, is that it? Or is there others? I think that's pretty much it. Well, no, the Nest is uh, Google's, but uh, they have their Ring. Oh, right. Ring. Yeah. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah, yeah. So they bought Ring, Google bought Nest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but... Uh, so I can see, I mean, Kindle is like a rock solid 
I don't use a Kindle. I use the Kobo platform because, well, public libraries in Canada don't support Kindle, but like, so they have a new Kindle. Those are devices though. It seems like a bit of a step back to go from a position where you have not only surface hardware. So you have the in-house hardware that Microsoft is making and windows to go to be, you know, a Kindle designer. <laughs> Well, I mean, who knows what Amazon has up its po pocket? I mean, they've tried. They've tried all sorts of things, like you talk about with the Fire, uh, you know, having like the the TV type of um, devices and stuff. Um, I mean, I, yes, which is like a mobile advertisement platform. Yeah, I mean, they've tried uh, going and even uh, looked into going and developing their own phone and stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I when you showed me the, the articles with Panos. I mean, I can't believe people were kind of, uh, you know, uh, comparing him to Jonathan Ivey uh, from Apple as a designer. That's a ridiculous, com yeah, that's yeah. a terrible comparison. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about like, so I'm just trying to get in the head of somebody who's at a corporate level and like, okay, I got to leave, right? Um, so I get that like Windows has been on the back burner, but, you know, every area uh, and I've heard this on other podcasts and other pundits say it, which I think is a good point. I mean, can you think of another time in recent history where every division, I mean, I think the only division that's not launching a co-pilot is Xbox. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's not far behind at yeah. this point. I mean, every division is like, you are going to integrate AI, come up with something, even if it's like searching settings and it's in windows and it's some super rinky dink thing to start everything has to have copilot obviously the features between products are different but the branding is the same and so this is the time to be on the windows team to leverage ai because it's something that hasn't garnered a lot of attention so to me though other than the kindle i would think that the echo would be in major trouble because it doesn't seem to me like a voice assistant where you have to memorize all these phrases and all these skills and you have to know all the trigger words. I mean, that's why most people use them as a timer and a couple of other things is like 90% of the use cases because you have to memorize these prompts where it's just better to interact with a text model. Yeah. But see, this is where like, I mean, if you look at it, like the recent announcements, even by uh, OpenAI, where they've integrated voice Right. Like now, I think truly, I mean, this was predicted even like back in uh, about 2019, like this conversational computing. Uh, sure. Right. Yeah. And so we, this was the emergence of AI. But now, given these large language models and, you know, having that ability, I could only imagine. I mean, we'll see. Look at like Apple hasn't said much, but. I bet you Apple is probably working on something in the background. They've had Siri for a long time. And they, well, they would have a bunch of data to do a long, a large language model as well. Yeah, I just, I guess for me, is it is voice the best way to do that? Like when you and I talk about open AI and you're much better at using chat GPT, I'm, I'm trying to catch up to you is my goal, but <laughs> you're teaching me how to prompt it better. And I'm learning a lot. Like that takes a lot of thinking, right? So for me to say those prompts on the fly, I'm not saying it wouldn't be useful to use the LLM for voice, but it would be a lot harder to articulate spoken words on the fly where like when you're editing a prompt and writing it you you can kind of edit and you kind of perfect it and then you get it to bring something back right like it just seems like there's limits to what people can think of on the fly to prompt it accurately mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But you know, that being said, like, I mean, it's an interesting, like a, a kind of where we're at, like paradigm wise, right? Like, I mean, imagine the next generation, they might not even be typing as much, right? Like they might, they may literally just be talking like, kind of like, you know, when you look at all these science fiction shows where you're talking to a computer, like whether it's uh, Star Trek, you know, talking to the computer or what, what have you, or these robots and stuff. So, uh, I mean, maybe we're finally getting to that level. Um, I don't it's know. It's like if- the knowledge navigator, right? Remember the Apple, the knowledge navigator commercial where he's to asking it things. Yeah. I mean, we, we just, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because uh, most of the times, you know what it is, Eric? Like I was thinking about this the other day because um, I think, I think it might've been you texting me and um, I was having like lunch or something. And uh, normally I would just type, I would just type on text and stuff. Right. But at that point, like my hands were like kind of off. So I just, uh, I, I pressed with my knuckle, <laughs> the mic, and then I had to go and uh, generate the text and then send it off. And, uh, you know, it's just awkward right now. It's just awkward to go and talk about it whatever is. you're going to be saying. And maybe there's other people around, but who knows? We, I, it was probably also very awkward back in the day when we were using like Bluetooth and uh what was the issue the issue was that you said it looked like a crazy person just talking to yourself but now well, that like, hasn't changed i still feel like that personally <laughs> but. but that's where i think honestly like eric like that's where like uh, with apple having those white white strings hanging from your you know ear then people knew it was acceptable by uh, society that you knew that the person was uh, you know talking to somebody now we've kind of removed that wire altogether and you kind of have to look for those earbuds or something, but uh, I think it's just more of like a uh, just human behavior and what's acceptable in society. But we may get to that point. I mean, certainly, you know, some things that I've done uh, sometimes, right, is that uh, when I'm walking uh, my dogs, I'll go and um, if it's some, you know, especially my hands are kind of tied up, or if it's really cold, uh, you know, recording something right to my phone and using like the voice memo. But now imagine you don't even have to do the voice memo. It can just literally transcribe everything. Right. And so I, I I think we're getting to that point. It's maybe that tipping point where we might transition over from, you know, typing to speaking. I totally agree. I mean, I, I don't think that as people get more comfortable with dictation, I mean, there are some people who, I mean, if you watch someone who is blind, for instance, or has a disability and can't type, you know, how they dictate is very different than somebody who's not used to it. So I, I, I totally can see the LLMs coming to like a voice assistant or any computer and it being more interactive. And I, I think it'll become more the norm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I love to be able to say, hey, pull this into this rather than me having to type it out or something, right? Yeah. But for the long form writing tasks, I do not believe or if you're trying to prompt an AI to do something like really specific, uh, I'll give you an example. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Um, so I was trying to get, I was playing around with um, Leonardo, which is a, an AI image generator. I've been playing with a few of them, okay. right? And so I'm creating this persona and for this project i'm working on so it says uh, generate an image of a female high school student in senior year who wants to attend an ivy league college uh she should be she should look intelligent and driven 
Uh, she is dedicated to her studies. She has high aspirations and create the image so it's realistic and detailed and uh, produce it in you know high definition kind of cinematic style. That would be very difficult for me to articulate on the fly. Like I had to really work that phrase. And that was the last, the most, that was the phrase that generated the better results. The other ones weren't as successful, right? So my okay. point is, isn't that, I, I agree with you and I'm not, I'm not trying to, I just think that there's maybe a limit to what people can do, like to the human mind, to what they can dictate versus what they can write in long form. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, again, I think it's just, it's a different, because um, we're not used to it. Like, I mean, I, I felt even weird dictating that one time when I was trying to, I, I just had some ideas that came to mind or what have you. And certainly it's not going to be perfect. I mean, although I, I think as time goes on, maybe we're getting better as speakers. And maybe you might yeah. be able to articulate it better. But uh, yeah, I mean, for the general public, probably not. I mean, but it is going to be like a skill. I mean, that's why I say like this whole prompting thing. I mean, I <laughs> and we've talked about this before. It's almost like a fad right now. Uh, and that's why I describe it as like, you know, coding meets philosophy, because you got to go and find what is what is the way that you go and make it very specific and concrete and give those kind of restrictions and limits so that it can actually produce the result that you need. But, you know, a lot of that is just experimentation and coming up with um, ideas of how you might go and do it. Because again, how these large language models work is it's, it's doing pattern recognition. And just because it's taking billions of documents and finding the most, you know, common pattern doesn't make it good. Right. No, I, I 100% agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see though, those, I'm thinking about your point, like, I would love to see those voice assistants adopt, even the I, I mean, I, the open AI model, or, or, you know, the llama or whatever Facebook's is, I mean, there's lots of different large language models. Wouldn't you love to wouldn't Siri be way better conversationally, even if you were only prompting at simple things that you could think off of the top of your head than what it currently is? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, right now it basically says, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I tried to search it. It's like, well, that's not, and it searches it in like Apple's own search. It used to use Bing search for, for uh, Siri. I think Apple has their own web crawler at this point, but it's like, they're terrible searches. I mean, they're just awful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I think I that's, Oh, is your device like, talking? She knows I'm talking about her. Uh -oh. So Siri responded. Oh, there you go. But uh yeah, I mean, even isn't it funny now they've even removed the Hey, Hey Siri part, right? Um, oh, damn, I'm gonna, it's gonna start up on mine as well. That's right. <laughs> um, but speaking of, you know, AI and who's in head and who's behind, there was a, I mean, this is probably a good transition to the Pixel event. Yeah. Uh, and Gadget did a terrific um, summary of the Pixel event. So the Pixel event is like, what was it, October 5th? So we had Apple's, then we had Microsoft's, then we had the Pixel. And so this is the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro and Bard AI and everything else that they that they announced. So the Pixel 8 and the Pixel 8 Pro are their kind of flagship phone competitors. I think the Pixel phones are great. It's a very tempting. If I didn't need messages to contact everybody that I know um, or use Signal, then I would strongly consider the Pixel. Um, they're more or less settled into the design now. Uh, it looks very similar to the, the 7 and the 6 at this point. It says the regular Pixel 8 is sli slightly smaller. So they've gone, they made this, the, 
the, the normal sized one smaller and then kept the larger one. So there's a bit of more of a gap between the size. I always found the Pixel 7 to be a bit unwieldy. So perhaps that's the right move for them. Uh, you know, they have new finishes. They get this new Tensor G3 processor. And what they're promising, and by the way, this is, you were talking about Apple support earlier. They're promising now seven years of Android and security updates versus the three that they had before. I think it was three years of Android updates and then five of security. And now they're saying seven of both. So I guess this is their way to compete in terms of the longevity, or maybe there's a green, green aspect too. Yeah. There's a temperature sensor built in, which I think is funny. So I guess you can point the camera at things and it'll tell you the temperature or some sort of approximation. I don't know how accurate that is. I, I would like to have it so I could test it against my Thermapen. I think that would be funny. Um, but they seem like compelling, uh, compelling devices. Mm -hmm. It looks like Bard um, has some integration. So it's fusing. I think it's Google's now going to fuse its assistant. So to your point about these siri and all the other ones so it's google assistant is now being uh, fused with bard ai so they had a tech demo and google showed the assistant kind of pulling deep you know uh, information from like a live uh, a party invite in gmail so it was able to like reach into your gmail you could ask it you know when is this invite when it's happening and it would give it back so the assistant's already tied into all the apps so then they're just going to in introduce bard which is the large language model into that. So now it has the OS hook, but it can, of course, it, it can give better responses because it's not, it's not stuck to the, the previous uh, generation. Uh, they say, uh, ask where the party is. An assistant with Bard can tell you the location and tap into Google Maps for directions. So it kind of does everything all in one now uh, before they had Bard for the large language model like ChatGPT. And now assistant will be able to pull that in. So it'll be kind of a one-stop shop. So this is kind of your point. Now, now Apple is the most behind because Siri is the only thing that doesn't use a large language model or hasn't rolled one out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although we don't know. I mean, it's uh, we don't know what Apple's working on or not, right? They just haven't been very forthcoming, but that's, that's their kind of MO anyways. Actually, one thing we forgot to mention was, uh, you know, you, you were talking about the uh, finishes. Uh, we forgot to mention that uh, yeah, Apple had to use titanium in the pros. <laughs> so, yeah. And they have a different glass finish on mine too. Like I have the regular, but it's almost like a matte glass. Like the, the color is in the glass. Yeah. And then the pros, yeah, they have titanium on the Apple. What is it? The iPhone Pro and Pro Max? Is yeah, that what they're called? Yeah, exactly. So you're actually using a precious metal <laughs> to go justify the prices, I suppose. Yeah, to me, the, I... It's funny though. I saw some, you know, I saw some complaints online. I mean, titanium is often, it's a very unique finish. It's a notorious fingerprint magnet. I mean, that was one of the, um, the complaints of the original surface. I don't know if you, if you remember this. So when the surface first came out, like the surface pro, mm -hmm. uh, that was a time when the iPad was in like full swing. I mean, the iPad is still very popular and very profitable, but it, you know, it's not like the, for the phone, right? So that that was the tablet to have. And so Apple had so much bought up of the world's like aluminum and manufacturing supply. So the original Surface Pro, as I understand it, was magnesium. Okay. Because they just didn't have the supply chain clout 
uh, to get it made. So then they were like, I remember they were advertising the Surface Pro as magnesium. And I don't know if they still use magnesium, um, but it was interesting that they had um, they had to do that as a marketing gimmick because, uh, yeah, because they weren't able to get like the manufacturing. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the, uh, the I guess they're kind of just saying it's a precious metal, it's lighter, it's more durable, blah, blah, blah. I mean, whatever it takes to get more money out of us, I suppose. <laughs> you got well, And they also had some overheating issues too, didn't they? Yeah, but they're they're saying that's a, a software issue. And so apparently with the next um, next upgrade, you'll be able to go and fix that uh, overheating uh, issue. Uh, apparently, that's what uh, I've read okay. anyways. But, uh, well, I haven't had any problems yet, but I will keep you posted. Do we have, we had one more thing about Facebook, which you brought to my attention. Did you want to cover that? Yeah. So basically they've partnered up with Ray-Ban. And so it's kind of like the, you know, the, uh, the, the Google, uh, what was it called? I forget what, the, the Google, uh, kind of, um, well, the, you mean the meta quest? No, well, no, remember how Google had their own kind of thing for like vision? Uh, I forget what it's called now. Like, just like blank. You mean the OS or the hardware? No, just for, yeah, the, the hardware for putting over your, like to have that augmented reality. Um, well, Meta had Oculus they bought. Yeah. And then they turned it and it became Meta. So I don't think Oculus, uh, it used to be Oculus Quest was their VR headset. And then that was the two, one and two. And then when they came out with the third generation, it was the Meta Quest. Oh, it was Google Glass. Google Glass. Oh, Google Glass, which I got to use. Oh, did you use it? Ago. I did. I used it. We had a bunch of them in, in my department when I worked at the University of Alberta. And so I was uh, signed a form saying I wouldn't wreck it and then took it all over Edmonton's downtown. And I got the weirdest looks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. So they're basically going and taking these Ray-Ban stories. And so it's going to be integrated within their various um, social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, uh, I believe also WhatsApp. And so it's going to allow you to go and, uh, you know, take video of what you're seeing and include it as part of uh, a post or what have you. And um, they just look like regular glasses. And does it, so does it integrate into... Facebook and threads is that and Instagram it must integrate into Instagram. That that's from my understanding. Yeah. So they they basically it'll allow you to go and give like real time updates and uh, shoot video of what you're seeing and be able to go and post that. So you could do like live stream, like you know have the you have the Insta stories. So you could yeah. do like live stream. You could I would imagine you could probably just create a, a post. I mean it's it's cool, but like this is where. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I look at just like the privacy applications or considerations like now, I mean, this is what we all wanted. We wanted something that doesn't look weird and looks like normal glasses, but now like, I didn't want any of these. I want to be very really clear. I didn't want, I never wanted a camera and glasses for anybody. I just want to point that out. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, this is just like humanity, what we've been kind of, I don't know, whatever reason we wanted to strive towards this. And now that it's here, like, I mean, I, I, I wonder if it's the right move uh, to, and especially Zuckerberg of all people who likes to move fast and break things. <laughs> so, but it seems to me, so, I mean, this article that we had about it from Gizmodo, um, 
So they report, I mean, this is kind of a bunch of reporting in here, but they, I'll, I'll quote, it says meta documents cited in a recent Wall Street Journal story show that just 10% of customers who purchased Ray-Ban stories still actively use them. The company has reportedly sold 300,000 pairs, which is not very many, of the shades as of this February, but only recorded 27,000 monthly active users. Oh, this was published in August, so this is an older article. So we're kind of playing catch up here. Um, so I'm just wondering, it's, you know, it's October. This was written in August. You know, what do you think the active users are for this at this point? I mean, not surprising if that's all that's the case. I, I wonder what the issue is there. Well, I don't know. I mean, it could be software. It could be sluggishness. I mean, yeah. maybe the battery heats up and it warms up your face. I mean, it could be a bunch of things. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's also be... the fact that it's only a five megapixel lens that's in there. So maybe just... Well, that's the... what I'm thinking. It wouldn't take very compelling. It would be more kind of like a life logger device. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, interesting. I mean, the advantage to having an Apple's Vision Pro or the MetaQuest is that clearly you are involved in some sort of VR, AR experience. Yeah. And, you know, it's not hidden. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I heard Tim Cook said he watched the entire season of Ted Lasso 3 on the Vision Pro, which sounds brutal, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, people are complaining that it is heavy, right, to go and uh, put on your head and stuff, so... Although I guess those episodes are probably pretty short. What is it? Probably like half an hour. So I have no idea. Yeah. I thought more like 45 minutes. Oh, well, either way. I'd be curious to see what the meta quest is. I don't know if there's a review at this point. Um, I don't know, but my understanding is that, the, I mean, I haven't used the quest two. That was a really, really good device. And that's a standalone. Yeah. Tom's guide has a hands-on review. Surprisingly good how it is. Given the price point, I mean, I don't know what it costs US, $4.99 to start, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, there's so much software for the Meta, the, the Quest platform, the, the Oculus is what it is, right? It's Oculus. That was a good investment for them. I don't know how Apple's going to be able to compete. I mean, I suppose that they can bring the apps and all the stuff from their other platforms because it's the same kind of silicon design as the phone and the tablet and the Mac. But yeah, I still wonder. The MetaQuest is a very compelling product. Although I, I saw one thing that uh, it was interesting, and I mentioned this to you before we started, but uh, it came across somebody was like comparing the the Apple Vision Pro with the this uh, MetaQuest three, and so like the unit for MetaQuest, it's like. 500 bucks there's a charging dock that's 130 then you would need a pc uh, with a 40 it should be a standalone device though i i don't know this is just some individual put this together and so apparently it was supposed to you needed access to a pc which i i don't know and then they said it was like that type of pc would be 2149 you would need a router you need these steam cards right cards okay, so the way it works so the way it works with the meta quest is that so let's say that you want to um, play a high-end VR game. Yes, then the MetaQuest can be plugged in and tethered to a gaming PC, and it can be used as the, the headset for the gaming PC. But the MetaQuest also is a standalone device that does not require, as I understand it, if it's the same as the two. Uh, so that it kind of can function as a, 
as a viewpoint to a gaming PC, but it also is a standalone product. It's probably not anywhere near as powerful as Apple's Vision Pro, given what they've done with Silicon, with their Silicon development. Mm -hmm. But for the price point, it's a very compelling. If yeah. you, like if somebody wanted to know like, hey, I'm willing to spend a few hundred bucks on a VR headset. I would say that this is probably their best option. Yeah, and I guess their comparison, maybe that that's where you're maybe uh, looking at that specific use case of like going in full on VR, high, high def or what have you. I, apparently the Vision Pro from Apple doesn't need a computer, whereas this you would need to connect it to a computer. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I do wonder about having a headset with a big processor that's heating up your head. I wonder what that'll do to people. But that being said, I'll leave that for another time. I've never spent enough time in VR to really be concerned about it. But that's more or less what we had today. Did you, is there anything else that we wanted to add in terms of articles? I don't think so. Uh, we've covered off the the big tech uh, and all their hardware side of things. And then we'll see, I guess, next time we'll, we'll follow it up with something else. Uh, was there a tip or anything that we leave, or is that something separate? Uh, I think for time, we can leave tips for another time. Um, but just for our listeners, how can they contact you or figure out what you're up to? Yeah, so you can visit my website. It's uh, Chris with a K, K R I S, uh, Hans, H A N S, at uh, or dot CA. And uh, there uh, you have all my social media. I'm, I'm slowly kind of, I've made some tweaks to it a couple of months ago or maybe a month ago. So maybe I'll add to it. I think you've been making way more changes from what I can see. Uh, while you were first, you inspired me. So I have my <laughs> updated my CV and all the work I've done. I hadn't updated it, publications, stuff like that. But you can contact me and find out more about me, Eric Christensen at ericchristensen.net, which will be linked in the podcast show notes as always. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Chris. Until next time. Yeah, for sure. Take care. Yeah, take care.